There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Streets Ahead, your podcast dedicated to all things cycling, walking and wheeling in the UK and beyond. My name is Ned Bolting. My name is Laura Laker. And my name is Adam Tranter. And this time we're talking about the biggest shake-up to our streets in the UK that most people won't even notice. That's right, it's the Highway Code. Possibly the worst promoted government initiative this side of number 10 parties. Active Travel England has also been launched, incidentally, with Chris Bourbon as the new Active Travel Commissioner. So we can have a little chat about that and focus in more detail, I'm sure, in a forthcoming episode. But today is basically about the highway code. Before all of that, though, how are we? It's been a while since we've podded. What's been going on in your life, Laura? Mm, I've discovered there are things that you can't transport by bike. So I've been having some work done on my roof what i know i know i discovered that lead has its reputation for a good reason i had this little roll of lead which i was thinking i'll take that back and return it to the builders merchants and it was in the back garden and i kind of squatted to lift it it was just like a tiny little thing and it was like it was enchanted it was so heavy it was just like stuck to the floor yeah it's like 37 kilos and you can't transport that by bicycle i don't think so unless you'll pedal me so i'm not sure it's kind of stuck well i say this is this is exactly it, Laura. This is why we shouldn't be having all this cycling infrastructure. <laughs> if you can't carry lead by bike, what are people going to do? Yeah. 37 kilos is quite a lot, it's isn't it? It's like twice. Yeah, it's twice a Ryanair baggage allowance kind of thing. That's quite a lot. <laughs> that's, how you, uh, that's how you measure things, Ned. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. So you've discovered the, the limits of the bike. Fair enough. Adam, what have you been up to? Politicking. Have you been politicking? Yeah, bit of that lots of meetings getting stuck in 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 the new commissioner job which is great lots of exciting things happening not least you know act of travel england which is really positive i've also become the proud owner of a cargo tricycle an e-cargo tricycle very recently so i am now ferrying my kids to school in it they love it they prefer it to the previously i had a like a long tail cargo bike where they sat on the back now they're in front in a box and they are, I'm just living my pseudo Dutch life, which is great. And um, yeah, people are fascinated by it. They 
as I've said before, when you turn up on a cargo bike to the school playground, people sort of think you're from the future or something. And yeah, it's great. How heavy are your kids? They're 37 kilos each. Can I borrow your cargo bike, Adam? <laughs> yeah, you can borrow it. Yeah. Um, max limit for the cargo bike is 100 kilograms. Ooh, so you'd be fine great. with your lead. Wow, that is a lot, isn't okay. it? 100 kilograms. <laughs> I'm, quite, I'm quite close to getting... I'm, I'm so technophobic and everything. I don't think I'm going to... I don't think I've quite got the space and everything, or, the, or necessarily the need, actually, because I haven't got young kids or anything for anything like what you've got, Adam. But I, I do think I'm going to get my bike adapted and have that little kind of thing that goes through the rear hub onto which you can latch a little trailer you know a little sticky outy bit that seems like a quite neat thing and then and then i can detach the trailer and just have that somewhere i don't know because you can get quite a small trailer can carry quite a lot of stuff really can't it and that sounds like a useful little add-on without having to do a massive adaptation to your bike sort of thing yeah we did a um i think when we did an episode on cargo bikes ages ago it was um you know we talked about all this cargo bike stuff and i'm a cargo bike guy i love them but actually, you know, the point was made that you can get a pretty good trailer that collapses and, and has, you know, solid sides for about 60 quid off eBay. And, you know, any bike then becomes a cargo bike for the majority of people. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's a great show. Now, listen, before we talk about the um, matter in hand, which is changes the highway code, just um, to, to lift all our spirits, just a little thing here. But it's kind of kind of important, I think because we can sometimes talk ourselves into a state of negativity on occasions about everything. But my friend and yours, Adam, and I'm, well, I think we all know him, Ian Cleverly, yeah. the editor of Ruler. Their offices have just moved into somewhere slightly more in central London. And I'm not sure whether Ian has, well, he hasn't been going into work much, but they're now back in the office sort of thing. But it's been a while since he's actually cycled from his house in southeast London, close to me, up into London. And he just messaged me a couple of days ago to say, I've just cycled to work. It sounds like a dumb thing to say, but the lanes and the infrastructure are just fantastic. Yeah. Great. And Ian is someone who's been cycling around London for as long as London has existed, <laughs> since the, Rome, since the Roman, Roman times. Because yeah. uh, he used to be a cycle courier back in the 80s, etc. <laughs> but I thought it was really nice, kind of unsolicited, just an, you know, someone who really, really knows about cycling, someone who's been doing it. But to have that sort of level of enthusiasm about the infrastructure that has gone in... Mm. You know, and that's, that's a lovely. positive take. Yeah, right? it's lovely. Yeah, yeah, Him yeah. and Peter Stewart, who also works for um, Ruler, he was saying about how wonderful his cycle commute was, actually. It's just, yeah. I saw that tweet. He called it a life hack. Life hack. Which, yeah, which it really is. The best life hack that you could do yeah. is just um, is riding to work if you can do it. I was trying to do a fake commute for, a, well, I have been kind of on and off doing fake commutes, and it does make a huge difference to your day. Concentration levels. You need to have a fake job, really, don't you, to mm. have a fake commute? <laughs> Some, something something with the exception of adam laura we haven't really excelled at in our lives have we? <laughs> having actual jobs true it's true it's yeah, true guilty yeah, yeah anyway but i'm i'm about to leave to go to cover um for television cover a darts tournament oh in milton Keynes. as ever when i do this at this time of year i'm going to cycle my folding bike up to um euston from southeast london get up to milton Keynes, and then cycle a few miles from milton Keynes to my hotel great right. I, I can call that a commute can't i of sorts you can call it a life hack. A life hack. Right, so hacking the highway code then. What's changed, what hasn't changed, and how's it gone down, Adam? Oh, well, um, there's, on the face of it, it sounds like there's a lot changed. There's uh, something like eight new rules and 48 amendments to rules. But um, as I was explaining just on the radio just a minute ago, really, it comes down to two things. One is basic courtesy, and the other one is physics, really. So the basic courtesy thing is, you know, many of the, drivers and cyclists and pedestrians be reading these changes and 
thinking, well, I sort of already do that. You know, one would be if you're turning left into a side road, for example, and a pedestrian is crossing or waiting to cross, then you let them cross. And it, it's kind of formalizing uh, that. The other one's in a car, not turning into a side road. If a cyclist is coming in either cycle lane or just you know whoever's going straight gets priority ultimately and then the physics side is is ultimately that it sounds madness when you talk about it because it's just so blindingly obvious but someone driving a hgv should have more responsibility to keep people safe than a child walking to school and really the hierarchy of road users kind of formalizes that in that you know cyclists must yield to pedestrians the most vulnerable road users you know and people driving cars to to cyclists and horse riders and and people driving heavy goods vehicles to people driving cars so it just comes down to physics really and a lot of it's very common sense but that has not stopped you know i'd say the media being like it's another thing but we all work in the media but we also therefore know how badly it can go wrong sometimes the media kind of massively misconstruing this combined with probably what is fair to say a lack of publicity from the government themselves on it has led to a sort of a random just tons and tons of misinformation one being the one that i read that i liked the most in how you could be fined a thousand pounds for opening the door with your wrong hand and i mean that's sort of correct because they're talking about the dutch reach but really the law that governs that is from 1988 you know there's not the hybrid code that's implying the fine it's just formalizing what's common sense for for a lot of people yeah there's been a, there's been a kind of a lot of um a lot of hysteria around this and it's kind of vacuum into which misinformation has spread isn't it there's just been kind of no communication from the government until last minute mm. but I think if there had been, or if there is, then it could be quite transformative. But as it is, I think most people aren't really going to know about it. But yeah, on the face of it, great kind of changes, very common sense, just stuff that you would do if you cycle and you kind of understand what it's like to cycle and to kind of experience a close pass because there's a new there's a new rule on close passing mm. um, or guideline on close passing. So um, leaving a meter and a half if you're going at 30 miles an hour and more if you're going faster. And just clarification that people ride in the centre of the lane, not the centre of the road just so that they can see and be seen and it's I think the the kind of language that he uses is much kinder I mean it before it was like cyclists must or do this yeah it should use the cycle lane when you can never ride more than two abreast and it was very kind of prescriptive and quite restricting and it kind of placed the onus on people cycling to not put no drivers that was the kind of undertone that I think a lot of people were getting but it seems like now it's more Sometimes cyclists ride two abreast for their own safety. It's easy to overtake. They can see and be seen and they can move over if they feel it's safe. And it's much more about kind of putting the power into people's hands who are most vulnerable to keep themselves safe because ultimately it's in our best interest. It feels like it's trying to communicate to drivers that this is why people do things when they're cycling and, you know, just have some kind of understanding of that. I suppose one of the big narratives that I've taken out of the reaction to the changes that have been made is a lot of the people who are the loudest voices in the mainstream media have been saying things like, whilst this does appear to have some sense behind it and the changes are probably all for the best, the way it's been introduced, it's going to be chaos, you know, um, because you can't just sneak these changes in and pedestrians will now blindly expect to step out into the road and motorists won't know they're not supposed to run them over. (laughs) <laughs> it's like that uh, never happens at the moment like, nobody ex- ever steps well, ex- out without it, looking <laughs> exactly but it did get me thinking i mean how often are changes made to the highway code is this a regular thing do they happen every year is there a- i think it was 2006 7 last time it's usually roughly around every five years okay 
yeah and it's kind of introduced stuff like advanced traffic lights for bikes which weren't common at all five mm-hmm. six years ago but mm. now widespread across london and i think cities like manchester as well mm. start to introduce stuff like that and incredibly annoying how little adherence there is to them but that's neither here nor there but then again it's part of the same picture isn't it you make these changes mm. but it takes a generation or two mm. for anybody to pay any attention to them. i think that's part of it isn't it because mm. most people who read the highway code are people who are learning to drive to then Correct. pass mm. their test yeah. and the highway code is only ever really metaphorically waved, you know, out of the window. If you, you know, on on Twitter, there's a debate <laughs> on something. You know, normal folk. We should question whether this is right or not. But normal folk don't read the highway code. I've read it because no. it's part of my job. But if it wasn't part of my job, there's like I tell you, there's zero chance I'd be, you know, reading it. And and I think that's mm-hmm. the case for the majority of people so we've got to ask ourselves how do you best communicate this and i think there is going to be some governmental publicity on this eventually there's gonna be a marketing campaign i think from february but also raises wider questions you know how do we encourage or even potentially force people to to keep up to date with these rules more regularly and that raises a much wider conversation which is complex and probably deserves an episode in its own right of mandatory retesting or some sort of refresher course and things like that when you're in charge of a large powerful vehicle because a lot of people haven't read the highway code for decades yeah uh, that's an interesting point isn't it it's not like the technology doesn't exist so if you take for example the thing that we've all got used to or most of us have got used to of refreshing our vaccination Mm. qr code you know which expires doesn't it after a certain time and then you have to go in and get another one we're quite used to setting up that kind of account now and if you had with your driving license if you had the obligation every now and again Mm. to i don't know Go on, you know, to to have to answer 10 questions from the highway code. And if you get five of them wrong, then you enter another kind of slight probationary thing where you, in order to get your license sort of activated again, you have to do slightly better than that, you know, without being madly draconian about it, but sort of trickling Mm -hmm. back into your entitlement to own a driving license that a degree of kind of having, you know, having to keep up to date or at least, Mm. I mean, it just doesn't enter people's minds that the highway code is simply something you do to pass mm. a test and then you throw it away in the bin, you know, so. Yeah. yeah, and I think possibly part of kind of wider attitudes just towards driving, that it's such a dangerous thing that the most dangerous thing most of us will do in our, in our lives, such a large piece of equipment that we're just sort of steering around the road, meaning we get tested and then drive for 60 years feasibly. It's just kind of emblematic of that kind of attitude that this is Mm. just something that we're allowed to do but really I think that the idea of having some sort of almost like continual professional development would be a great idea that kind of system where you just need to make sure that you know you're able to answer questions on the rules and on a sort of periodic basis. Mm. 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 I mean a bit of kind of um, very analogue and fairly straightforward signage on the roads would be a useful addition to the messaging as well you know I always as a cyclist in city I live in I always kind of breathe a sigh of relief when I enter a road that they're digging up the side or something so they've had to narrow it for roadworks and occasionally they have mm. those temporary signs that say do not overtake cyclists yes a yeah. big red sign I feel legitimized then to sort of defensively get in the middle of the road because I've got mm-hmm. the backing of the authorities look there's a great big sign and by and large I find that that is respected you know by motorists because they've literally been told mm. I mean you can't do it on every street corner, but you could pepper um, these, this messaging onto the side of the road, couldn't you? Yeah. And equally at, at junctions where there are lots of pedestrians who are waiting to cross and would in fact have the right of way. And motorists now are told that they're obliged to wait. Put a mm. sign up. Explain, you know, a simple yeah. sign saying this is what happens here. 
guys. I did one... see one yesterday, actually, just um, you... on Torrington Place. It's like a, a little cycle lane in, in Bloomsbury. And there's now drivers are allowed to turn right across the oncoming cycles. And it says give way to cyclists or don't turn across cyclists Mm -hmm. and i think that's the first time i've seen that not too far from there actually you know when you do these social media posts and they like for some reason go absolutely crazy and you think why are people interested in this like ned with your cycle lane in scarborough or somewhere whatever kind of things yeah yeah. Yeah. um (laughs) i I pasted one about a side road treatment in camden on a on a side road and basically what that is is instead of having the side road and the kind of drop curb and then the road and then you're going to go up and you sort of wait for permission to cross they just keep the pavement going all the way across the side road so it's then the onus is on drivers to give way Mm. to pedestrians it reinforces what we're saying in the highway code and that got like thousands of likes and and Mm. i spoke to the people who worked on it and the unfortunate thing is each junction costs about thirty thousand pounds to to do something like that so they're not insignificant but they are really welcomed by people when they happen and and of course we don't know exactly what will happen with that but that that comes down to one of you know chris borman and brian deegan's suggestions of the side road zebras how can we reinforce that priority that's now in the highway code really cost effectively and then you're looking at more like 300 pounds rather than thirty thousand pounds for just some paint that you know the zebra crossing on the side road so all that stuff could um could help in the future potentially yeah yeah are they rolling out the side road zebras now not um not no not no is the answer i think there's been one is it still local authority who's done it as a sort of trial that got a bit of media attention but currently the report i believe has been submitted to the department for transport for for consideration but all the evidence has been put forward and consideration. <laughs> so the slowest process in the world. I remember going to um, uh, going to the Transport Research Laboratory in like early 2020 with Chris Boardman and they were hoping to announce something then and that was something that was two years ago now. Amazing. It's so slow. Yeah. Well, this anyway. stuff doesn't happen quickly, I think is fair to say. And the highway code has been... Yeah, it was Jesse Norman, the cycling minister, who wanted the highway code changes and you know, now it's just coming to... 2018, wasn't it? Yeah, so so these things yeah. do take time, but um, uh, conversely, just to put a side point across, is we have really high compliance with zebra crossings in this country compared to some other mm. European countries. Like Ned, you'll know better than anyone with the amount of you know countries that you travel on, going to see bike races and stuff. Sometimes in France, you know, walking across a pedestrian crossing is not a given, etc. And we have really high compliance, so the the respect that is given of what people identify and recognize as I must stop here is worth protecting but that doesn't mean we can't innovate I don't think hmm. yeah that's weirdly true I, I would agree sort of anecdotally I think we I think we do that's um that's a that's a very good point talking about bike races I remember the final individual time trial of a bike race called Tirreno Adriatico in Italy about five six years ago went along this seafront town on the uh, Ligurian coast. There was a zebra crossing on the route. And, um, oh, no. Peter Sagan, who's a famous cyclist, was on his time trial bike hurtling along around about 55 kilometres an hour. And uh, an old lady just just stepped out onto the zebra crossing. And I've never seen such a skillful avoidance of, uh, of a, a really a terrifyingly unfortunate and potentially fatal oh, collision. So, um, yeah, she was expecting My him word. to stop and he didn't. So there you go. That backs up exactly what you were saying. <laughs> yeah, bloody cyclists. Bloody cyclists, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at the... Um, because we were talking earlier about the portrayal of these rules about being confusing and people don't like them. Because there was a consultation that came along with these changes. There was a highway code review and then the changes were made, well, a couple of years later, wasn't it? But um, 
according to the DFT, most of the, if not all the proposed changes were supported by consultees. So like 21,000 people responded to the consultation, ranging from 68% support to 96%. So 79% agreed with the hierarchy of road users, 75% on pedestrian right of way, 89% on cyclist priority. So I think largely people seemed to support this, at least the ones responding to the consultation. Yeah, and I I actually think that most of the, you know, I wasn't listening, I wasn't obsessively following it, but I I thought that a lot of the um, media's treatment and the more responsible media outlets, at least, was actually, it had the expected kind of edge to it to a certain extent, but I thought it was fair enough on the whole. And I thought a lot of the most vociferous kind of opposition to some of the changes has actually been restricted to the kind of the fringes of the debate you know the the usual suspects the really quite questionable outlets and campaign groups I was relatively heartened but there is still an awful lot of kind of blunt misunderstanding isn't there that needs to be overcome yeah I think one of the bigger misunderstandings I've noticed and it's worth just because I because even people who are in active travel kind of weren't totally sure about this and it's, it's worth clarifying is that the highway code is guidance and breaking the highway code or something like that is not in itself against the law or something that you would be you you could be arrested for or fined for there are various offenses that haven't changed and as i said the opening the car door thing has been since 1988 it's probably not adequate because it's just a fine but a lot of these things would be law that we've had for a long time so it would be driving without due care and attention for example and with a close pass you know and then if it got to court a police officer would have to you know typically give evidence to say in my professional opinion being a police officer that was too close and didn't give due care and attention and backed up by the highway code that says that you should give one and a half meters and this clearly wasn't one and a half meters so it's not a blunt instrument and you know it's not going to lead to sort of on the spot fines or, or anything like that it just sets the tone a bit better for how we want our roads to be and and ultimately try and get more people walking and cycling in the absence of safe cycling infrastructure. You know, that's going to take a while to realise and to build. So we should make the better use of the tools that we have and especially for walking, giving priority to pedestrians, you know, having waited at lots of busy junctions over the time could be quite transformative if it becomes instilled in our culture. Hmm. I think there's two kind of watchwords in the highway code, aren't there? There's the kind of shoulds and there's the must. So I think most of the things that have changed are the shoulds. So yeah, you're not going to get prosecuted. But if there is a collision, then that kind of whether you did or not could be used um, to establish liability. But the musts are kind of legal requirements. There's stuff about pedestrian crossings, zebra crossings. I know that West Midlands Police did their operation zigzag, where they basically stood in their full policeman's high vis and stepped out onto crossings and waited to see if people stopped. Quite a lot of them didn't, actually. And um, and then they ticketed them afterwards. <laughs> it's amazing. Or they'd see suddenly, the Mark Hodson described it to me, as suddenly they saw the front end of the car just dipping right down towards the road as they just absolutely slammed on the brakes. They just weren't paying attention at all. But yeah, stuff like that, the, the must is kind of the legal requirement, but the should is just is a bit sort of gentler. Yes, but the offence itself wouldn't be crossing a zebra crossing. It would be driving without due care attention, I believe. Yeah. Um, so, but yes, there, there is a must and should, and that's that's important. And, you know, a lot of this must and should stuff has been misinterpreted willfully, potentially, by some commentators who have taken just the reinforcement that people are allowed to take the lane and may wish to take the lane, i.e. ride in the middle of the lane, 
that's kind of, you know, in one of the newspapers was put forward as middle of the road as the headline in order to try and, you know, deliver as many possible clicks. Uh, maybe that was not their motive. Maybe it was. So I think that's some of this has been misconstrued purposefully. The same with riding to a breast and, and all that stuff, stuff that we've known is, is okay to do that's just been slightly reinforced or reworded or softened as Laura said so it doesn't look like it's against people cycling all of that stuff is not that new but it's been presented as this kind of massive wholesale change that means that cyclists have way more rights than anyone else when really all it comes down to is is physics you know if you haven't got a metal body around you then you should probably be looked out for doesn't sound too much to ask when you put it like that does it yeah I always think of those kids you know that do the wheelies drive the cycling down the middle of the road because they actually do they like to go along the white line sort of wheelie one hand they do <laughs> they, they do that one hand one hand with the Sunday times uh with the, the headline and one hand on the handlebars you do that like don't you Laura? yeah all the time I'm the queen yeah, of well, wheelies you're, you're in east you're in east London aren't you that's the kind of heartland of, of wheeling yeah. I, yeah I can't wheelie nor can I really ride no, no hand I love so, that stuff yeah, very, yeah. Very I mean I, I just don't know how they terrible. do it I just don't know how they do it. It's pretty cool, I isn't look it? Look at it. Okay, I can't. I couldn't do that even on a Brompton with tiny wheels. Yeah, how, it always makes me smile. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. It's on a slight tangent, I suppose, but it's just when you were talking there, it just kind of, I remembered that um, my partner who is uh, works for the NHS and cycles around, I think I've spoken about her job before, haven't I, that she cycles around mm. a London borough and a bike is absolutely their everyday tool. Um, but just coincidentally, on the day that the highway code changes were released and publicised, she had a kind of really quite typical, slightly scary incident that she told me about mm. when she came back from work that I'm sure we'll all be able to identify with. And it's this business of you're cycling along a, a main road. There's a side road from which a car is emerging to mm. join the traffic. Mm. And it kind of uh, incrementally nudges further and further out. And you're kind of watching it thinking, are you going to stop at any point? And then eventually the, the driver kind of does stop the car, but the bonnet of the car is already taking up half of your lane and, you know, forcing you either to stop, essentially, or forcing you out into fast moving traffic and kind of exposing you into danger that way. That's really common, isn't it? Yeah, um, all the time. But for some reason, this was a, she was telling me this is a particularly kind of alarming move on this day. And it really kind of freaked her slightly. And so she got that slight visceral response. And then, of course two minutes down the road they'd stopped at the same set of traffic lights and in classic cyclist behavior she said oi wind your window down like this and then the guy wound a window down and it was a classic what then ensued was a classic driver offended cyclist exchange you know which was didn't you see me you know and the and the driver says the driver's defense you hear this quite often actually is i didn't see you didn't see you i didn't see you and you think he's like how do you you not see me yeah, and that's the yeah. and that and, and so it's quite looking. interesting. So, so here's the point, isn't it? That, that her first instinct was, how can he say he didn't see me? Yeah, you know, like yeah. I've, I've represent really quite a large figure on the road. How can that be the case? But then, the longer she thought about it, she thought, well, maybe there is something in that. Yeah. Maybe because driving a car, you are so conditioned to look for other cars and only other cars yeah. that somehow, through a trick of your own kind of perception you actually don't see cyclists mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. I don't know what you do about that quite but it was quite interesting I'd never really thought about it in those terms maybe mm-hmm. the driver was right maybe he in some sense hadn't seen her yeah people often don't and yeah if they're not looking then um and often people don't it's like um 
you remember our chat about distracted driving and how how it's amazing you can just not see if you're not looking for something you see what you expect to see especially if you're distracted which quite a lot of asana when we're driving yeah it's yeah um and you'd hope that changes to the highway code you know people if it's communicated well that in an ideal world people will actually start you know thinking about road users that they're not that they wouldn't be looking for before mm. they start looking out for people on foot and on bikes. I think part of this is as you say awareness and it is very possible that that driver did not see your your partner but we we shouldn't also gloss over that in a sense that it is part of the licensing the reason cars are licensed is because they are that dangerous we need to be you know we need to be looking out for them and therefore it's you know it's the owner shouldn't be on the individual either to be make themselves seen through high vis or or whatever it is you know you don't see what you're not looking for so i think the awareness stuff is is really important the more that people understand that there are likely to be people cycling and that comes incrementally through changes in culture and mode share and things like that but i also do think a you know an awareness campaign of sorts would be helpful and we need to remember that most people won't be able to keep hold of much information but the the headlines that they get can stick so i did notice and i can't use this as a, as a, a scientific study of any sorts but the day after all the kind of hoo-ha in, in, in national media about the highway code, I cycled my kids to school a little bit nervous, actually, from what I'd seen online because you see a lot of hate and negativity in, in the comments and, and some of the articles are misguided and try and make it us versus them. And they might recognise well, you, Well, I'll say that. <laughs> um, but There's that Adam Transom. I, I do it. I'm cycling over. a balaclava for that reason. <laughs> but, right, right. Um, for your own protection. <laughs> but no, joking aside, I, I thought that, I don't know what I thought, but I was a little bit more nervous than normal. And I was overtaken in an exemplary manner by just about everybody. You know, some people driving gave me two and a half metres of space instead of a metre and a half. And, and, you know, I had a really positive experience. And I think... Um, no, yeah, it's not scientific. But for all the noise that there is, we should remember that most people were just driving along the radio hearing that the new highway code means that you need to give a metre and a half to cyclists. Oh, yeah, go, got it. And and that's it, basically. All the culture war and stuff like that is just a, just a sideshow. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And um, I, I, would, I would wholeheartedly concur, actually. I mean, I can't remember the last time something really scary. Touch wood, because it could be today. Mm. But by and large, and I do notice it, actually. It doesn't go unnoticed. I do notice how most people comply. Most people are... You know, most people behind the wheel of a car are pretty thoughtful and considerate yeah. and will wait, you know, and um, shouldn't lose sight of that. Mm. Um, yeah... Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's like you said, Ned, it's uh, most of like most of the coverage is, you know, is just normal and Mm. good. And I guess like most of the respondents agree with this. Mm. So, um, Mm. yeah, there is hope. There is hope. (laughs) To segue a little bit, this is a policy result, if you like, a successful policy result from from a campaign several years ago now called Turn the Corner, which was led by British Cycling and faced and affronted by Chris Boardman talking about the the ambiguity of the existing highway code you know it's a real success story and and uh now many of our listeners will already be aware that um active travel england is finally getting underway uh led by the interim cycling and walking commissioner for for england uh the same chris boardman who we've had on this podcast and has done great work in greater manchester so while like the highway code after travel england isn't going to be the silver bullet that solves all of our problems and we'll still need to do lots of things and it will be hard to me i feel really positive out that and can tell you that 
you know, within my job as commissioner in West Midlands, it's already making a difference having that oversight from the government, from the Department for Transport, kind of looking really into the quality of the schemes, not just whether they've been delivered or not as a binary yes or no, has led to uh, a lot more, I think, thoughtfulness on on what the process should be and who the users are. And when that's done at scale, that could be really, really transformative for this country. So I'm I'm feeling really buoyant about uh, about that. I even saw that that news was um was debated with great enthusiasm and noted in the Netherlands. <laughs> oh, really? That's a bit of a first, isn't it? Because I follow, I'm sure you guys do as well. I follow a few of the Dutch kind of cycling and active travel accounts and everything. And, um, you know, often they post in English. Sometimes they're t- when they're talking to each other, they'll post in Dutch. And I understand a bit of mm. Dutch. And, and I noticed that one of them was saying, good Lord, over in the UK, they've got, an, you know, a nationwide active travel, you know, walking and cycling kind of thing, overseeing authority, you know, with Chris Borman. We need something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a first, isn't it? God. <laughs> that was a bit of a first. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to hang on to Chris. He'll probably get headhunted and taken over to the Netherlands. Yeah, for his fifty-first mm. job, he's got a yes. quite a few. <laughs> he's got quite a few on the go, hasn't he? Busy exactly. guy. But go- going back to this messaging thing, though, it can be very potent. I remember I'm older than you, you guys, so you won't. Um, you may not remember this, but um, when I was throughout all of my childhood and my teens, there was a campaign on the television and on posters that said, and I can still remember the slogan: "Think once, think twice, think bike." And it was about motorbikes, mm-hmm. quite specifically. It was about protecting, you know, and it was exactly that visibility thing. You know, think there may be a motorcyclist there. And I still remember. I can remember the adverts. I can remember the posters. I can remember the catch for, you know, everything. We, yeah, we have a great tradition of um, those kind of public messaging adverts, especially around road safety. There's been some really powerful drink driving ones. And I think maybe that think one, Ned, might have been the first. Clunk, clunk click. Oh, yeah. Clunk, that was click. a catchy one as well. Yeah. Um, I, that was maybe belts. that think yeah. one was like the start of what's still now called the think campaign which is where they're eventually going to be launching this highway code stuff they were great actually we could do with some more of those we don't, haven't seen any of those for a while have we or i haven't seen any for a while uh, i think we've been a bit hamstrung by um you know catch it sneeze it don't sneeze it you know rough, wash yeah, your hands all over, that kind it? Of, you know and see it say it's sorted yeah. <laughs> as well yeah. There's a lot. I should, I just, without being overly controversial, I think we should be careful what we wish for with road safety campaigns. Much of the culture of our roads today has been, had a trickle down effect from, I think, well-intentioned mm. sometimes and actually poorly intentioned some sometimes activities, starting with probably what I think is when I tell people and they didn't know about it, you know, they are horrified by this. But, in you know, luckily we don't have it in the US, but ultimately in the US, the automobile industry was reaching a saturation point and couldn't sell enough cars without kind of totally overtaking our streets and, and every urban area. But also there was a big backlash against cars and car drivers because they were killing lots of people. So the automobile industry lobbied really hard to invent uh, a law called jaywalking. At the time, a J was a, was a slur. You know, you wouldn't want to be a J. And that was, you know, managed to get from lobbyists to law. But also, you know, looking at some of the more dated things that are well-intentioned, I think, and and probably well-meaning, but the Green Cross Code and things like that. And and before that, I think way before my time, but I was reading up on it, it's called the uh, Curb Drill, which was a pedestrian safety campaign with a military-style halt, quick march instructions, you know. We've got all that wrong. When people come into my kids' school and teach them about road safety, they've got it all wrong. You know, ultimately, it's about 
which I, I do appreciate. But, you know, they're telling my kids, basically, it's sort of your responsibility not to get killed. So, be, you know, here's what you can do. But there, there's no, none of the stuff of the actual people that could kill people to sort of say, can you stop driving like this? Or here's what you need to do. I think we've got it all the wrong way around. And the road safety stuff is something that I think is just ingrained in kind of public sector culture. It's like something that they do. We always have these information campaigns and actually they're just sticking plasters for what is way more deep rooted in the kind of culture and society of our our roads. I think without being too profound about it. uh, I mean, there is a campaign running at the moment, isn't there, about speed awareness. It's radio adverts and it's adverts on the back of buses, I'm sure. Laura, in London, you'll have been riding behind buses and you'll recognise this poster and it says, watch your speed, your son does. yeah. Yes, uh, and they're yes. kind of using that the guilt of actually quite yeah, a, a, you, quite you know, your, ch- your children yeah. as, a, as the kind of emotional lever behind the campaigns. Mm-hmm. There is that. So it's not mm. all, I don't think it's all mm. quite as uniform as you might be. No, making. no, yeah. not, a, not yeah. at all. Not at all. And there is some good stuff where that really focuses on those that cause the most harm, which is, you know, I think how policing and other things should be done. We should also take from the Green Cross Code, I think, that uh, one of my concerns to say is the Department of Transport have allocated, you know, £500,000 to a marketing campaign to promote the highway code changes. That is not a significant figure. It sounds like a lot of money, right? But it, in marketing terms, it is not a significant figure. And the Green Cross Code ran for 15 years. That just gives an indication of, you know, what it takes to get stuff ingrained into people's minds. 15 years of the same promotion to get that across. It's nothing, is it? Wow. Wasn't the budget for the aborted TFL video? It was a million quid. Discussed, million was, quid. was 1.3, 1.3 yeah. million, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was just for London and they didn't even finish it. Yeah. And they managed to, they managed to throw it away, yeah. Well, yeah. So we're excited about to travel England, though. Yeah. Thumbs up. Yeah. Double thumbs up from Laura. <laughs> Boris Johnson style. Big enthusiasms from Laura there. Can have you on a My zip wire next. A this morning, <laughs> we'll do an episode on that. What do you think? Should, do you reckon that you can, um, you, yeah. maybe if we all message him individually, we'll, 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 might be able to get Chris Borman to do his first in-depth interview. Yeah, messaging uh, campaign. Yeah. He'd come on. I think we'll love bomb him. Or failing that, guilt him. I've got some stuff on him. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I've got plenty of stuff on him. We can uh, we can we can use that as our leverage. Right. Oh. Yeah. Is there anything much more to say about the highway code? I no, think I we've think, covered it. I think we've banged on about it about enough. Just <laughs> available for more good bookstores. All right, all right, excellent. Okay, <laughs> we will at some point discuss active travel England, and we will try and get Sir Christopher Boardman. That's yeah. only a matter of time, isn't it? On board. In the meantime, though, that was the highway code. You've been listening to Streets Ahead. Let us know what you think at Pod Streets Ahead, please. Rate us, review us, and share the podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And we'll see you next time. So it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.